is Romans 16 and as um, Dave said, there's a funny word in coming up this morning, the glocal church. Let me um, just remind you of a little bit of uh, Romans 16. Greet Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risk their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus. Greet Mary. Greet Andronicus and Junius. Greet Ampliatus. Greet Urbanus. Greet Apelles. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I actually grew up in uh, rural Devon on a farm. Most of my friends were from families that had lived in the same area, local area, for generations. If you went to the churchyard and looked at the the, uh, surnames on the gravestones, they were the same surnames of my friends at school. Then I went to Cambridge and got converted and I began attending a church. And the church I belonged to similarly had, uh, certainly at the beginning, a large core of people who were from old East Anglian families. In addition to that, there were a good number of new people who started coming from all all sorts of other parts of the world, Australia, Sri Lanka, America. And um, often it was said in the church, this is a really unusual church. And then I came to Oxford. (coughs) And um, East Oxford is as culturally diverse as many a, uh, um, a, a London borough. And in um, Magdalen Road Church here, we began to get Kenyans, other Africans, British Asians, Asians, South Americans, Eastern Europeans, and on the list went. And the majority of people, whatever their ethnic background, really had no historic link to East Oxford at all. They arrived only a moment ago, it seemed, and they would be gone in a blink of an eye. It wasn't long, it was just a few years, really, when I realised that there were more people had come and gone in Magdalen Road than were, standing, uh, were sitting in front of me on, a, uh, on an average Sunday. And I began, and I think we began to think, this is, this is an unprecedented challenge. I began to think we were living in a time and a situation that was that was far beyond. Thank you very much. (coughs) I began to think we were living in a time that was far beyond what uh, uh, the Bible anticipated. Surely, I, I, I thought to myself. Letters written to churches nearly 2,000 years before EasyJet. They, they can have only the, 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 uh, the vaguest um, relationship to the challenges that we're facing today. Perhaps they might help a church in my hometown in Devon to be a healthy local church. 
but it's another order of magnitude surely away from that world when I come to cosmopolitan East Oxford with a 20% annual turnover with 50% of families with cultural roots outside of England with over 50 languages spoken in my children's school alone surely it's just way beyond the Bible's vision and I was absolutely and utterly wrong There are letters in the New Testament that are written to stable local communities. Colossi, to which the letter to the Colossians was addressed, was that sort of a, a rural background, by the, uh, backwater by the time that Paul wrote to it. But actually the great letters of the New Testament, Ephesians, Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians and Romans and more, were actually all written to incredibly diverse cities with an extraordinary flux of people coming and going in them. The first century was actually the first great moment in the history of the world when there was a stable empire that peacefully ruled over a vast area and in which travel and trade and translocation was, to be honest, pretty simple. The great cities of the Roman Empire in the first century were actually an extraordinary mixture of races, cultures and religions. Let me just show you a map, for instance, um, uh, uh, that I found to, to, uh, uh, to give you a flavour of, of that. In the great cities of the Roman Empire, there were people from all over the Roman Empire and from beyond. They were from Spain, Algeria, Libya, Egypt, Ethiopia, Somalia, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Armenia, Ukraine, Saudi Arabia. They had contacts with uh, Russia, India, Thailand, Burma, China even. Look at, look, look at the, uh, the trade routes on, on that picture. And the streets of uh, um, the empire's great cities also were walked by descendants of the million slaves that Julius Caesar had brought home just a couple of generations ago from that uh, rather rough northern region called Gaul with its cantankerous warlike primitive people. Yeah, the first Christians almost certainly met the English. Because they were all mixed up in the cities. Actually, the Roman Empire decayed over the next few hundred years and that freedom of travel and trade and, diver uh, 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 and the diversity of the cities decreased. But it was in the first, second and third centuries when uh, there was all that cross-fertilisation that the Christian church took root and flourished and grew and transformed the world. And actually, it's only been in the last couple of hundred years that the world again has rediscovered its global contacts and trade and cross-fertilisation have begun uh, to be the norm again. Initially, in the 18th and 19th and early 20th centuries, Travel started to become possible 
at least for traders and for uh, a, a few pioneers. And on the back of that, the World Missionary Organisation uh, started and has made a massive impact on the world as uh, people from the, the, the West and the North were sent out to uh, uh, countries all over the world. But in the last 50, actually particularly in the last 25 years, something new has happened. It's not just the elite now that travel, it's everybody. And most large cities in the world, including the little city of Oxford, are now multicultural communities with global connections just like they were in the first century. That's what I want you to see. Just like the situation in which the church flourished. This is not some weird and wonderful extra-biblical experience that we have in this city and this church. It was the norm for Rome and Ephesus and Corinth and other churches that we don't hear much of like Antioch and Alexandria. Our new um, summary statement for the church of why we are here we've been exploring over the last few weeks and uh, we said uh, in a couple of places that we want to reach out to the peoples of East Oxford and the world. And we purposefully use the plural peoples of East Oxford, not the singular. Fifty years ago, that would have been ridiculous to say. There was one people in East Oxford and they were the people for us to, to reach out of. But today... There are numerous peoples. On the Cowley Road, you can go out for breakfast, have a full English breakfast, you can have a Sichuan chicken for, for lunch, you can snack in the afternoon on Lebanese koftas, you can sit down to a lamb biryani in the evening, you can go out on the Cowley Road and watch a Bollywood film and then on the, on the way home, if you're a bit hungry, you can have a, a kebab. Every one of them cooked by people for whom it is their own ethnic food. And then next day you can go croissants for breakfast, tapas and sushi for lunch, pizza in the afternoon, Thai green curry or Cambodian prawns or fish and chips for supper. And on it goes. Fifty years ago, you see, if we wanted to reach out to the world, we knew what to do. We would seek the Lord for th that he would raise up someone whom he would send out and we would support them financially as they went to another part of the world and we'd see them every few years. But today, the world is on our doorstep. And what I want you to see is that is exactly the world that the New Testament letters are written into, by and large. Paul's, the end of Paul's letter to the Romans gives us a little snapshot of that world and that's what I want to unpack for you. There is much that we will have to uh, overlook but I want to just unpack uh, a little bit of this uh, chapter. 
to explore what it might mean for us to reach out to the peoples of East Oxford and the world. And maybe for you to understand what that word glocal might mean. First thing then that uh, we need to um, absorb my slides are gone there we are is that it was a global church. The church in Rome had people who had travelled there from all over the place. We can get a glimpse of that, for instance, when we um, uh, realise that uh, Paul seems to know so many people there in Rome when he had never visited it. He uh, knows at least ten or a dozen people um, because he shows, uh, he shows that by the way that he writes. He may know personally every single person whom he greets there. How many of, of us here know someone, uh, know um, ten people in any city that we've never visited? I couldn't think that I do. That's, but Paul did. He lived in a, uh, in a world full of coming and going so that he knows a large number of people in that city because he met them elsewhere. Some of the people coming to Rome may be short-term visitors. Phoebe seems to be one of those. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Cancrea. She's a leading member of this church in Cancrea, which is which the city port of uh, Corinth uh, in what's now Greece. She's probably a merchant who has business in Rome and so Paul has asked her to take that letter along with her as she goes to Rome anyway. And when she comes, perhaps she will stay for a few days, perhaps a few weeks or even a few months and then she will return. But in the meantime, says Paul, help her. Treat her in the same way that you would expect to treat a long-term church member. We have a good, good number of people just like Phoebe, frankly, who turn up with us only for a few weeks, perhaps even one week, perhaps a few months. It's easy for, for us who are relatively long term to just ignore them, you know, you, you know the feeling. Um, as soon as they say they're a visitor, we think, well, I'll just shut off there, I can't invest in, in this person. Paul says, no, invest in Phoebe, look after Phoebe. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints to give her any help she may need from you for she's been a great help to many people including me. Short term visitor, yes. Peripheral person whom we're not to give much care to, no. Look after her in the way that you'd look after any saint, says Paul. Some people um, uh, who visited Rome were uh, business travellers but would stay for a longer duration. Priscilla and Aquila are absolutely fascinating in, uh, uh, in this respect. You get a mention in, uh, in verse 3. Let me just uh, sketch for you their uh, travels a little bit. Aquila was a, wealth, a wealthy Jew 
from uh, Pontus, which is over there in the Black Sea, on the southeast shore. Um, uh, somehow, we don't know how, he uh, travelled from there and he ended up in Rome. Probably it was there that he met and married Priscilla and almost certainly he was, uh, uh, they were both converted whilst they were in Rome. But actually their conversion got them into trouble. The Jewish quarter of Rome, um, um, Aquila was a Jew, the Jewish quarter of Rome was disturbed by riots that were caused by uh, anger against the Christians and the emperor decided that it was time to expel all of the Jews. So Priscilla and Aquila amongst them uh, were expelled and uh, find themselves later plying their trade. They were, they, they, were, they were merchants and leather workers in Corinth. In Corinth they met the Apostle Paul. Supported him, he taught them and uh, when he decided to travel across to Ephesus they decided to transfer their business interests across the water to Ephesus and they stayed there for a few years. Then uh, Paul went in one direction and they decided that uh, perhaps the coast was clear again, they would return to Rome, where they may well have kept their house anyway. They seemed to disappear for a number of years um, in the New Testament and who knows where they might have been. But uh, um, towards the, 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 the end in uh, 1 Timothy 4, we find there they are again in Ephesus. And they did all of that travelling, being in five places in less than 20 years. And Aquila was born in Pontus, uh, a sixth place. That's how mobile the society was. If you think we're a uniquely mobile society, try telling that to Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 4, Paul says, uh, They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Somehow this couple have had a massive influence in various different ways throughout all the churches of the Gentiles. Sometimes though, there were um, uh, travellers from um, uh, other parts of the Roman Empire, not particularly by their own desire. Take uh, the household of Aristobulus, for instance, in verse 10. Greet those who belong to the house household of Aristobulus, says Paul. Aristobulus, we know who he was. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. He lived his early life in Palestine and his household, that's his slaves, um, would have been by and large, if not entirely, Jews. And perhaps we can imagine that some of them, while they were living in Palestine as a, a large household, got converted immediately after Pentecost. In later life, we know that Aristobulus moved to Rome, taking his slaves with them. They came not by their own will, but because their master had taken them. And by the time Paul is writing, actually Aristobulus is dead, but he was great friends of Caesar, 
and the custom was that uh, you sort of bequeathed your slaves onto uh, your immediate patron. So, uh, um, these slaves, still called of the household of Aristobulus, are nevertheless almost certainly functioning within Caesar's household now. And we know from elsewhere in the New Testament that there were Christians in Caesar's household, amongst Caesar's slaves. These people were passive migrants, you see. They were moved around by forces beyond their control, just as we get asylum seekers in Oxford today. But wherever they went, they brought blessing. They took the gospel of Jesus Christ. They integrated into a local church. They served the Lord in that global community. Imagine, friends, for a moment that you've been displaced here against your will. You've come because of problems in your own country and uh, you come to Oxford. Imagine that you um, establish yourself in a little terraced house with some students next door. And uh, one of those students is a nice American girl called Chelsea Um, one day her dad comes to visit and her dad's a lovely, lovely man and he's enchanted actually by your little toddler so um, through uh, your delightful little girl you strike up a friendly relationship with the father of this student from next door and you get an opportunity to talk to him and to uh, talk about yourself and your life and your faith. His name's Bill. Yep, Bill Clinton. And it's not a fantasy. It happened to a family in this church. That's the opportunity that we have just by being here. A household of Aristobulus ended up serving Caesar as Christians. And it happens today. We think you see, that the story of the spread of the gospel was the story of bold, pioneering missionaries like Peter and Paul. And it was, partly. But that's only half the story. The almost unnoticed story which nevertheless, when you start to tease out the New Testament, you realise is as big a story as Peter and Paul. It's the story of massive global mobility through which the Gospel spread through countless unknown, unknown and unnoticed people throughout the world. 
and it's happening again. And we can be part of it. We heard from Lisa Hickman. She's supporting Lisa. And, be, uh, and making friends with the people she makes friends with. Brings along. We can reach the world. Peter Vernon, visiting, uh, visiting asylum seekers. Many of whom will soon return to their homeland. Edith Villamaggio travelling around uh, uh, all over Europe. Not to mention people who, who uh, like um, um, Andrew and Ruth Sadler, Martin Grote and so on who are involved in global ministry. But let me go beyond that. You. You as you work. You as you study. You as you lean over the fence to the person next door comes from the other side of the world. You as you talk to the person you buy your newspaper from. You as you get to know the families of the children your friends are children of. You have massive opportunities. Be in this church for... uh, a little while and you will find yourself sitting next to people who are going to be political leaders in their country, who are going to be national church leaders or who are, who, who, um, or who are going to return to places that no missionary could ever go. If I wanted to, I could, I could speak to people from three closed countries in a day and share my faith. This is a global city. We are a global church. It is the most extraordinary opportunity that God is giving us that people in other ages would have longed for. But also, the church in Rome was a local church. And I mean local in perhaps not the way that you might think of it. We tend to think of a local church, in Britain in particular, um, as being sort of the perfect local church, serves a defined locality with a stable population of people who live and work and socialise all in the same community. The parish church, basically, in this country, has been our model for ministry for at least 800 years and attractive and effective as that model may be it actually bears very little similarity to the models of churches that the New Testament gives us whole cities were churches parish where were New Testament churches parish and in churches like uh, Rome in particular Uh, The Apostle Paul wants to say, the world is your parish. No, not local in the sense of just serving a stable community that's been there for generations. Some churches have that calling, we don't. Now the New Testament vision of a, a local church is probably not quite the right word. It's to be a solid, real community as a church. And that just shines in this chapter. 
In this chapter, remember, that dealt with exactly the same challenges that we do of people coming and going from all over the world. People were sacrificially committed to each other. Phoebe says Paul's been a great help to many people, amongst other things financially, no, long, no, 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 no doubt. Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul. Look at the number of people who are described as working hard um, <coughs> for, um, for one another. Um, uh, um, verse 12, for instance. No, verse 6, for instance. Mary, who worked very hard for you. Or verse 12. Um, Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in, in the Lord. They were committed to working hard to preserve and create a local community of disparate people. Persis, particularly, is mentioned who she has worked hard. Perhaps she's elderly and uh, her days of real hard labour are, uh, are gone. But Paul doesn't want to forget that she's been a worker in her day. Perhaps we forget the hard service that people have done in the past. Let me be very un-English and embarrassing, as Paul is, so I'll try and imitate him. Let, 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 let's not forget Jean Banford, who looked after the finances of the church for many years. Peter Vickers, who faithfully served as a deacon and was still going into the church several times a week to look after it when I came. Brian Hennegolf, who served as a deacon and even assistant pastor. Janet, who, with countless acts of service. Gwyneth Lever, who led the Sunday school for many years. Tony Reed, who chaired the deacons. Margaret, who served faithfully. Tony, Ted Soundy, still doing PA after decades. Myra Watson, ex-missionary committee member. Christine Ravenscroft, one-time secretary to the deacon. Shirley Lation, a faithful member of the church for many years. There are people here who have worked for decades in this church and this is the fruit. Hard work, but it's worth it. Actually, today we have an overworked core If you're not in the core, the overworked core, you overworked people, you know who you are, you can switch off now. If you're not in the core, maybe you should think about contributing. It's easy to do now. We've made it much easier. First thing to do, just talk to Dave Trenchard or Richard Brewster about getting involved in the setup rotor. Once a month, coming and putting chairs out. Why should the overworked people do such a, a simple task as that? They need to do things that really need knowledge of the church. Paul says, these people are heroes. They work hard. But possibly even more prominently than that is the love that he has for them and they clearly have for him. Verse uh, 5, for instance. Greet my dear friend, Eponetus. Verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Verse 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in the Lord, and my dear friend, Stachys. Verse uh, 12. Greet my dear friend, Persis, another woman who's worked very hard uh, in the Lord. And most touchingly for me, I think, verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, 
who's been a mother to me. Big tough pioneer leader Paul appreciated someone who was prepared to look after him like a mother. Some of us could be grandparents of, uh, of people here. I tell you, express your grandparental interest in people. They will love it. You will be blessed through it. Many of us here know what a, uh, a great thing it is to go to a new place and find someone who sort of adopts us a bit either as a parent or as, a, as an older brother or sister. We don't expect people who, are, who, who, who haven't got the capacity to do that. Maybe all you've got the capacity to do is to take an interest in someone, to greet them warmly on a, on, on a Sunday, to promise prayer, to ask whether the prayer has been answered. Others of us have got more capacity. We can have people into our homes. We can demonstrate love. Maybe you're new here. How about the exercise just of giving that love to others, just as a visitor? Very, uh, it would be very easy for us to become a casual, loose-knit group of souls who happen to meet on a Sunday morning because there's a few good things that happen for us. But that's not what the New Testament church was like. They helped one another. They worked hard for one another. They loved one another. So on Monday, when you go out to work, when you go to study, when you take the kids to school, when you go and visit some friends, when you go down the shop, Go as an emissary of Christ to the world and let this place, this gathering, be where you are nourished, where you are invigorated, where your heart is drawn up to God, where you are encouraged, where you come to delight in God and where, crucially, other people can support you and love you and encourage you. Let this place be that and work hard for it, not for its own sake because that will empower you to display the glory of Jesus to the peoples of East Oxford and the world